Hello everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. And I'm Jacob Keynes, and you are listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. This podcast, Sammy speaks with the Bay Area Rainbow Symphony director and violinist Andy G about the history of the symphony and its role in queer music and its future plans. We'll also listen to the music of India Yesha Gailey, who is a cellist, and we'll listen to a piece, one of them, written by India, as well as a piece by a New York-based composer, Yaz Lancaster. Uh, so, welcome everyone. Uh, this week, uh, I'm very pleased to have uh, Andy G, who is a violinist and also president of the Board of Directors with the Bay Area Rainbow Symphony. Uh, welcome, Andy. Well, thank you so much, Sammy. Uh, glad to be here. Great. Um, I think probably the first thing is maybe you'd like to tell our audience a little bit about uh, the Bay Area Rainbow Symphony, what it is, and a little bit about how it started. Yeah, happy to. Um, so yeah, so I've been uh, with the orchestra since uh, about 2013. Uh, so the Bay Area Rainbow Symphony started in 2008, and it's a you know nonprofit, community-driven organization in the San Francisco Bay Area and in the U.S. And so uh, it's it's community-driven. Uh, all of the the musicians are you know professionals in other industries. Uh, we get together and perform roughly four concerts per year. Um, and you know everyone else has day jobs. Uh, our, we've had a, a rotating crew uh, throughout uh, throughout the many years. So I've been with the organization almost a decade at this point, uh, which is pretty wild to say. Um, yeah. And I've been you know just a violinist, and only in the past few years uh, joined the board. Um, and so yeah, so we we tend to perform uh, sort of a mix of music, uh, you know, classical and instrumental music. Uh, we do try to highlight uh, at least one LGBTQ. Uh, composer and or soloist per concert. And then we also, uh, uh, Don Harms, who is our uh, music and creative director, uh, one of her goals in our programming is to ensure that we always have at least one piece composed by a woman, if not more. Um, so we try to uh, create and, and highlight as much, uh, you know, try to create a programming that is inclusive uh, and sort of drives forward that mission. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the, the high level uh to overview of, of what we do at the, the Bay Area Rainbow Symphony. We, uh, we go by bars for short. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll use bars yeah. then. It's a bit, bit shorter to say, yeah. yeah. Um, um, so, so, you know, as the president of the board of directors, um, what's your role within that? What, what does the, the board do and how does, it, uh, how does it interact with the orchestra and, and that itself? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So the, the board in general is, is responsible for uh, ensuring that the the organization uh, has the finances to continue to operate, and that uh, from a governance perspective, that we're uh, continuing to um, you know operate in in means that are sort of above board, uh, uh, ensuring that we uh, are uh, a sound organization, uh, either from a finance perspective or just from how we're operating in general. Um, Every single board member currently is also an orchestra member uh, in, in the group. So there's very much sort of this tight knit, um, uh, you know, we are, we are, everyone on the board is someone who joined the orchestra uh, as a, a member, as a player, and then cares deeply. And, and really a board member is, uh, you know, it's also a volunteer gig. Uh, essentially we're, we're volunteering our time and uh, also our money to, to help ensure that uh, the orchestra can continue to, uh, perform and, and contribute, uh, hopefully back to the community and, and, and what we do. And so, uh, there's, uh, the board is, uh, a, about 11 people currently, and we do mm-hmm. uh, a mix of things, you know, folks, uh, from their, from their day jobs might have experience in marketing or, uh, operations, or, uh, we have some folks who also have professional experience working in arts organizations. So people have, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very mixed group in terms of, uh, folks expertise and talent. So, uh, people sort of, go into different areas and, you know, some folks are focused on marketing in terms of the website or social media or, you know, branding. Other folks are focused on, you know, the financing side of like making sure that our, you know, our finances are in order and, yes. and that, uh, every, everything is set. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the, the division of labor. And, and my responsibility as president is really, um, you know, just 
helping helping to make sure that all of these things kind of continue along and, and we're we're moving in the right direction. I, I guess obviously with with the COVID effect we've had over the past couple of years, this has been quite a tough gig to have. I mean, you've you've obviously had restrictions and this kind of thing. Um, yeah. So how how have you coped with that as an orchestra? Yeah, yeah, it's. I, I think we I, I, every arts arts organization, especially performing arts, and you know, so many others have have been uh, drastic, you know, very strongly impacted by by COVID and everything. I think bars has been relatively fortunate in that we don't have any physical space. You know, we don't own mm. or like regularly lease a venue or basically most of our costs are incurred when we put on a concert. So for better or for worse, because we didn't have any concerts for the better part of a year and a half or so, we, we more or less went into a stasis phase. You know, we we're just kind of, you know, a butter, you know, a chrysalis, you know, waiting to emerge as a butterfly, yeah. you know. Um, and so we, Thankfully, we're, we're able to weather the storm. We mostly just put things on pause. Um, you know, we had some calls as a group, just sort of internally, just to, to keep the community and the orchestra mm -hmm. sort of together. Um, but we, we thankfully weren't, weren't too negatively impacted. We've now had two concerts um, since the beginning of the pandemic. So we had one last November and then also one in March uh, uh, of this year. And... Uh, both both went really really well. We were really uh, pleased and surprised by the the mm. support that we got from from the audience. Um, and I think we in the in the Bay Area have been relatively fortunate from a you know sort of masking and vaccination perspective. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the folks in our, I know it varies depending on the geographic region. Um, so I think we've been pretty fortunate and, and most folks have been very accommodating both in the orchestra and the audience members of, yeah, we're going to require proof of vaccination and boosters. We're going to mask and, yeah. um, you know, except of course for bar, uh, the brass and woodwinds, but, and we haven't really had much, you know, fuss about that. So yeah. I think overall so, we count ourselves among sort of the, the lucky, luckier ones, the luckier organizations. That sounds good. I mean, I, I guess from, from, from my perspective, I'm not, not terribly musical. I mean, I guess the main issue is keeping up your practice and actually playing together during that time. I mean, I guess that must have been the most difficult thing. Or, you know, I know some groups have tried to have sort of remote sessions and this kind of thing. Is that is that how you worked? Or did you just go, I'm just going to practice on my own here and do that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. To be to be frank, we didn't we didn't try anything along those lines. We heard so Don, who's our uh, you know creative and music director. Uh, she's also a violinist in the San Francisco opera. And so uh -huh. just from chatting with her, um, you know, the opera had done a bunch of, um, you know, they tried these sort of a asynchronous remote recording, performing together kinds of things, which I think were, you know, a really great way to sort of um, keep together and sort of continue to make music. But at the same time, there's a lot of technical challenges and it just doesn't quite, it's not the same, right? Um, so I think no. most, most folks ended up just, you know, <laughs> practicing on their own. Um, and, and once we sort of got back together, uh, last fall for our November concert, I think it was, um, it was, you know, I think we're depending on the person, I, I, I will only speak for myself. Like I was certainly a bit rusty, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I'm glad that many, many of the other orchestra members, uh, kept up with their, their practicing throughout, uh, throughout. So. I think we were able to uh, be in a good spot, I think. So I, I think yeah. I think it, it worked out. And I guess there was quite a lot, as you say already, probably quite a lot of pent up, um, I don't know, what is it, uh, sort of um, uh, pent up feeling that was going to come out when you started having concerts again, you know, both yeah, from the orchestra yeah. and also from the people as well. You know, everyone wants to get out and see live music. So I guess that was quite an exciting time for you. Absolutely, yeah. It, it pent up... Yeah, pent up energy, pent up demand, pent mm. up, uh, you know, just feelings, right? <laughs> you know, both yes. from a player and from the audience member, like everyone just, it was, it was, it's, it's, it was cathartic, right? Like when we all got mm. together for that first concert, um, where we were all able to, to be in a room together and play and, um, felt, we felt very safe, um, and, and fortunate to be in a, in a place where, uh, we could perform and we tr could trust that uh, our audience was um, watching out for one another and, and for us. Uh, mm -hmm. I have 
some friends, uh, a friend of a friend of mine who's an opera singer. She, uh, you know, has done some gigs since the pandemic has started and has traveled to different parts of uh, the country in the U.S. and uh, honestly, has hasn't had a positive experience often. Yeah. Where you know. Yeah she's performing and singing and everyone in the audience is mask free and you know there all these mm-hmm. you know considerations and especially for for her when her her instrument is her voice and you know all of those mm. uh, and her lungs right like her ability to <laughs> to sing that way like um so i i think we we count ourselves as again quite lucky and fortunate to to have that community here and then the audience mm. is, is very supportive of that I think there's something I was going to talk about a bit later, but you've kind of brought it up already. Sure, uh, I mean, yeah. you live in quite a quite a special part of of the world for, for queer people. Uh, I yes, mean, it's yeah. kind of kind of like the, in a way the gold standard. It's 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 an environment which is very welcoming, uh, generally, and, and and kind of positive, uh, yeah. which I guess is is a fantastic atmosphere to play in. Yeah. I guess, you know, I mean, I guess it must be quite positive. I, I mean, I, I guess I, I would sort of, you know, um, having been, I'm sure you've been to places which aren't as welcoming uh, for yeah. queer people. Um, I mean, I guess there's this this, this question about, um, uh, you know, how, how, what's your feeling like? I mean, obviously living in the Bay Area is, is a great place for, 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 for people to live in, for queer people. Yeah. But, you know, obviously yeah. that's not everywhere. So I guess, you know, do you see this as part of... Um, kind of your 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 role in a sense of the bay area symphony i know you're a bay area focus but to try and at least encourage people and 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 give a positive view of of queer people to the world yeah so that's a that's a great question i think you know from from my perspective yeah i i've been living in san francisco in the bay area for over a decade uh, you know over a decade at this point and what i what what drew me to the area? I mean, what brought me to the area was work, uh, you know, very candidly. Uh, but uh, obviously, I was very very excited to be here uh, because of how much this, you know, San Francisco and the Bay Area overall is has has been sort of this beacon uh, for for many queer people and continues to be uh, by and large, uh, you know, an incredibly mm-hmm. inclusive and welcoming space for for queer folks. Um, the orchestra itself, you know, we are currently, you know, it's in the name, Bay Area Rainbow Symphony. So we have only performed historically here. Uh, I would love for us to, we we recognize that we have the privileges of being like the environment sort of created the symphony in this orchestra. Um, But we would love to see more and more queer ensembles, you know, Mm. orchestras. I I know there's a pretty large contingent of um, gay choirs out there, but it's also with orchestras. I'd love to see many, many more, um, you know, queer orchestras, um, out and about. So, um, if we could help, uh, you know, be at least at the very least, just an example and, and hopefully sort of show that there, there is a way for other folks to do that. And in some ways, I actually think, um, it's, it's actually quite easy, uh, for us to exist in this environment. And if anything, I think folks who are in, less welcoming environments and less welcoming parts of the world to, to queer people. Um, I, I admire those folks because they're actually, they're going up against stronger headwinds, right. And mm. overt mm. hate in some cases. Um, Absolutely. And, and so I, I think they, um, I'd love to chat with them if they're out there. Um, and one thing that we have talked about for a very long time and, and, but would love to do is to, to travel at some point and perform in, mm. in other areas. Um, so, uh, you know, nothing, nothing concrete just yet, but, no. um, certainly something we love to, we love to be able to do. I, this is something which in, in a lot of our podcasts we come back to is quite often is about queer community, um, not only in a local area, but around the world. And, yeah. and one of those things we often discuss is how to get to, how to get classical music in particular, you know, cause classical music generally seems to have a little bit of a problem with, with getting queer people into it i mean in general i mean it's not you know just there's a lot of choirs but in general yeah. getting queer people into classical music seems to be more difficult and and i guess this is why i think your you know your your bars is a little sort of shining light for orchestral work um yeah. in the sense that there aren't many orchestras i think there's another one in berlin maybe there's one or two around the world but it's not 
it, it's not common. And, and I guess that's kind of a, in a way, that's a really great thing, but it's also maybe a little bit of a burden in a way, if you see what I mean, to be, to be one of the yeah, few yeah. people look, maybe look to you to be, you know, this beacon. Yeah, I, I, I think the, yeah, I, I, I couldn't answer uh, <laughs> I, I think for me more than anything in terms of uh, my experience, you know, from, you know, school and then just, um, you know, I, I wasn't professional, uh, you know, I didn't study professionally or anything like that, but, you know, when I was in, in high school and then college, you know, I think there are certain personalities that might gravitate towards choir and there are other personalities that gravitate towards classical and instrumental music. Um, so I think there's some, there's something there as well in terms of, uh, choirs are general. My experience is like choirs are more extroverted, more gregarious. Uh, they have, <laughs> they often have a lot of these like very strong sort of like social, uh, you know, like I just remember in high school, right? Like the choirs are just like, you, you know, <laughs> that were... they're there. Whereas like instrumental, you know, musicians can be a little bit more reserved at times. So I wonder yeah. if there's some, some level of, um, you know, uh, just sort of personality types as well. That sort of influences mm. those, those, you know, that behavior perhaps. Yeah. How, how do you think, uh, I mean, it's another question which we quite often talk about on the show is yeah. how being queer affects your view of music and, mm. and maybe the way you play it or the maybe the way you interpret it. Um, do you feel that's uh, something that you take with you or something that's inside? Or do you think, you know, that's not as there isn't that kind of view of it? I mean, some people say yes and some people no, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I can, I can only speak for myself as Andy, you know, not ever. Mm -hmm. I, I don't speak certainly for all of the musicians in bars or, or Don, uh, for example. But I think it's hard to disentangle. So I guess my answer is yes. Right. Um, hmm. You know, I feel like my view of the world and my identity as, uh, you know, a gay cis man, um, I, I think that has a, a pretty strong effect on, you know, how I move through the world. Um, mm -hmm. And at times, you know, I, I, it's not always conscious, right? It's not always like <laughs> top of mind, right? Like every single action that I do is like, because I'm a gay, this man, I'm going to yeah, do this, yeah. you know, uh, people, tend to I, have this, it, people tend to have this view that you somehow are thinking about being gay or trans all the time. And that's the only thing that matters in life and you've got a life yeah. to live, but you don't really, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not this like every single, just, yeah. So you, you know what I mean? And so, uh, in terms of music, I, I do think of how, um, you know, much of classical music, has historically been written by, you know, cis white men, uh, mm. generally straight, at least that we know of. And so um, from my perspective as queer and Asian, uh, I think of my, you know, I do think of what are things that we can do that are a little bit different, right? Like, can we make, I, I, I view music as like, what what's, I think there's that's maybe a bit of the tension at times, especially with a classical organization, because when people go to a classical music concert, I think they sort of expect, you know, oh, I'm here, I'm going to listen to the Tchaikovsky, I'm going to listen to the Mozart, I'm listening to the Beethoven. It's like cut and dry in a lot of ways, and so I I try to think of like what are the things that at the same time we you know it's 2022, let's try to do something different, let's try to make it ours, right? Like music is to be performed and interpreted in different ways. Um, mm, mm. Whether, whether we're overtly like making, you know, Mozart or Beethoven like queer, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I certainly think that that influences how we want to play it, right? Like how, how yeah. we are feeling the music and how, and, and the audiences that we perform for. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of a very long-winded answer. Uh, no, no, <laughs> but the, I mean, I think that's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a kind of a thing that's built into us. I, I mean, you mentioned yeah. something else, and if you don't mind me asking the question, uh, I mean, as you said, it, it's, it's classical music is a very white, generally European or European-American, but European you yeah. know, uh, um, culture. As yeah. a as an Asian person, I mean, yeah. and there's a lot of music, great music from the rest of the world, which we kind of yeah. ignore in classical music. How, 
if you've got any feelings about that or how, how that influences you or, or how, how we should maybe go and look more widely at what we mean by classical music, maybe? Yeah, um, it's a great question. So just by way of, you know, quick background, I was born in Taiwan, but my family moved to the U.S. when I was a little baby. So I'm, you know, American um, by and large. And so playing the violin and playing classical music growing up essentially like, yep, it's yeah. white European dudes uh, by and large. <laughs> and yeah. so that, that certainly colored my perception growing up. Um, and it, even it wasn't until, you know, in the last 15 years that I really started to push myself to be like, you know, why what, in it, on the one hand, it feels like a long time ago, but at the same time, 15 years isn't really that long of like, why are we only playing music by old white European dudes? Um, (laughs) And and so, and and so at at bars, one of the things that really interested me was the push for, at the same time, there are many musicians who, you know, these are great pieces, right? It's great music. It's great art, but there's also great music and great art elsewhere in the world that we've never played. So I think one of the things that we buy, trying to mix, you know, create and highlight lesser known uh, works by people of color, by queer people, by women in classical music. It, I think it is exposing mm-hmm. both the players and the audiences to different pieces. And so we've been trying to push more and more into, into these areas. And um, I, I think the hard part is um, it, it, it takes time, right? It, it, the easy thing is to do the Tchaikovsky. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Tchaikovsky. He's like one of my favorites. Uh, I keep just picking on him because, yeah. He's, <laughs> um, good. he's not bad. He's not bad. He's, he's got yeah, yeah, he's, 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 right. he's all right. He's all right. He's all right. He's all right. But, um, uh, and, and so I, I think the, the, the honest answer is it takes time and it takes work, right? To find hmm. and curate the, you know, the music that, um, the members will be interested in that the audiences will be interested in. Um, and there's, there's no shortcuts to it. Right. But I, but I do agree. I think it is work worth doing of, you know, exploring and finding and engaging with the, you know, to be clear, it's like Mm -hmm. people, people all over the world have been writing classical music. It's just that the programming has often led to predominantly uh, music of a certain kind. And so, um, it's incumbent, I think, on organizations to to do the work. Um, if if it's something instead of just lip service, um, actually doing the work to to find those pieces and the performers and 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 bring them in, and it takes time and energy. <laughs> as with all, as with all good, you know, the good thing is also the hard thing. You know, and just yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's kind of interesting because there is this kind of media thing about this. I mean, I've noticed in in a radio show that I have. If I start yeah. playing too much that's outside Tchaikovsky, Mozart, Bach, you start getting people going, well, why aren't you playing Tchaikovsky, Mozart, Bach? And, yeah. and, and it's kind of like, and you look at the big radio stations and that's all they play. I mean, the classical right. music stations that I'm familiar with, you know, play 98%. It's the same playlist that everybody else plays. And, yeah. and it's really yeah. hard for like, you know, composers who are women who are yep. queer or are yep. Asian, African, or anybody else that's outside that to break in because of this yep. kind of cultural flywheel that keeps this same stuff going around. Exactly. And, and, and so, so it's nice to see an orchestra, you know, as you said, Dawn is, is heavily push is trying to push women composers as well, which I think is another area we're obviously very short of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think one thing that I've I've noticed, um, at least locally, and I, I haven't spent as much time seeing sort of in, in other orchestras in, in other parts of the world, is that the San Francisco Symphony here, they've been doing more um, classical and orchestral work that is tied to movies and video game mm. scores and soundtracks. Mm. Um, and... There was a part of me uh, a few years ago that would have been like, oh, you know, it's different. It's cute, but it's different. And um, as of late, I've noticed the the local classical music, the the big classical music uh, station, radio station here in San Francisco is uh, KDFC. They've been playing more of that music as well. Mm. And, you know, I also happen to be a video gamer. So like there's a part of me that sort of like separated those 
like I kind of bucketed it in terms of like, oh, it's like high art, low art. And mm. I've certainly yes. shifted my perception of that as of late of A, I love this music, but I had this own sort of like prejudice that I'd like taught myself of like, oh, video game music and movie soundtracks are lesser than. Um, and revisiting mm. them, I'm like, if this is what, A, I think this music is great. Uh, and B, if this is what gets younger people and queer people engaged in orchestras, that's great. And yeah. so I've been really pleased to see, um, and or here, uh, KDFC playing, you know, music uh, from Final Fantasy soundtracks or Lord mm. of the Rings or, you know, any number of these, um, uh, you know, orchestral pieces. Um, so I, I think that might be an avenue, at least in terms of not overtly queer, but at least just not yeah. music written by dead people. <laughs> I, I, and, you know, I think one of the things you said there, which I think is really true, is you've got this hierarchical of, of like uh, composers almost or types of music tradition. And it's, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, um, you know, you know, yes, unless you listen to the most obscure piece of Mahler that's extremely difficult to listen to, then you're not worth, you know, you don't know anything, you know, kind of thing. There's like, and then you go down to the easier, you know, and if you go down to Strauss, well, that doesn't count so much because it's all waltzes. And then you've got video gaming and then you've got Lord of the Rings yep. and all this kind of thing. It's a very hierarchical structure that seems to exist in a lot of class the classical world to some level. Exactly. Yeah. And and I, I think in, in a lot of ways, like, I, I it, it's whatever whatever gets people engaged, and if it moves mm. people, it's art, right? Like, I'm to be clear, I'm also not like an academic, <laughs> or like I can't really necessarily speak to these level, like the, these kinds of things, in like a like a critic or the, like that level of um, uh, discussion. But the very least, from my perspective, like if it gets if it moves people, if people enjoy it, um, let's do it. It's great. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. If, and, and I think it's about that. exactly, and it's also about like finding a balance too, right? Like, mm. um, there's there's the there there are audiences, there are members, you know, and and also you know, I, I speak as a you know a violinist, uh, like a player myself. Like, if we play something that is particular, like very current, like brand new mm -hmm. piece, off a lot of these pieces can be very challenging or atonal mm. and amelodic and um, yes. it, it's very challenging to play and also very hard to listen to, to folks who might not, like, I, I don't even have sometimes the literacy for some of these pieces where I'm like, I, I don't really get what's going on. And so at the same time, like trying to figure out like, how do you play something that is familiar and ple pleasing by sort of like the traditional ear but then also how do we push and expand boundaries in other ways? So it's sort of mm. figuring out sort of like where it, it's also, I think, dangerous to just a hundred percent stay in the comfort zone. Right. So it's sort of yeah, figuring out like where, where do we push? Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. that's maybe part of um, sort of that queer lens of like, how do, how do we push not, not sometimes overtly, sometimes just, by existing, like how do we push these boundaries um, and, and do something different? As you say, by actually bars existing is actually pushing a boundary and, and that's that's kind of good, kind of a, a positive thing. I, I should say that one of our, a person we interviewed um, a few months ago, uh, a trans woman composer in the UK, uh, yeah. sort of made the point that, um, you know, you can play a piece of music of her music and if you hate it, that's okay. That's kind mm. of all right. As long as it gets a response, as long as there's something that you got, God, I really hate that, or I really love it, or this kind of thing, that's better than going, eh, I don't really right. have an opinion. So, so I, yeah. I, I kind of, I've kind of come around to the conclusion that all of this art is great, even if you look at it and you go, I don't, it's not for me, but at least it's yeah. got some response. And I think that's kind of yeah. important. Exactly. And, and I think the response, to, I, th I think what that kind of uh, that kind of art in general, I think the question is like, oh, that's not for me. Maybe then ask why, right? Like sometimes people just have that like immediate like, oh, ick, and then they walk away, and that yeah. that's the end of the exploration. But I think there's the question of take it just another step further. Why 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 does that not work for me, or why do I like this, right? Like, and I think that's that's what great art can do. Um, yeah.
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds great. I, I got a couple of other little questions. So, so one thing just to make clear is that, is that, um, yeah. my understanding is that your bars actually has, uh, will have queer and non-queer people in it playing as well. It's quite a mix of people. Anybody can come along and play. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I, I, I missed that point earlier. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we are truly inclusive in, in the sense that, uh, you know, queer, straight, um, all, all kinds of folks are, are welcome to, to play in the orchestra. I mean, we do have an audition process, so that's kind of a bar. You've got to be able to play. You've got to be able to play. But yeah, so we, we've done some surveys in the past. Uh, we haven't done one in the past couple of years, but I'd say it, in general, it's about maybe about 50-50 uh, in terms of folks who mm. self-identify as LGBTQ or queer in some way, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and 50% uh, straight. But uh, it, it certainly evolves and changes over time. You know, it's like it, yeah. for any given concert, there are about, you know, 60 to 80 musicians. And, you know, we're a volunteer orchestra, so we understand that um, yeah. we are not the, the top priority. So depending on the concert, depending on the timing, we have kind of like a maybe like 100 to 120 people who kind of like rotate mm. throughout throughout the course of the year, 120 people total, and then sort of a rotating cast of crew um, throughout from concert to concert that, that's a that's a really logistical i guess nightmare as well trying to work out who's <laughs> got to come in and who's got to play gosh have we got enough violas and this kind of thing yeah it must be yeah. quite a complex business yeah it's um it's it's really just done by uh a lot of the hard work and and heart of uh richard haran who's our executive director so he manages all of the the, the very, you know, tactical operations of booking the venues, booking the rehearsal space, making sure that we have programs um, and managing that team. And mm -hmm. so um, he combined with often the section leaders, they're the ones who sort of manage. The, I, I think it helps, you know, just being able to delegate and say, okay, uh, Michael, who's the concert master, just like, you just manage the violins. Great. You figure that out. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Russ and Hans, they're the cello uh, sort of co-principals. Like, you just figure out the cellos, make, make it work. Um, make it work. I think the yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Make it work. Uh, make I'd it say work. the strings are probably the most logistically, because it's like the largest by number of people. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, you know, because there's so many of us, I think people are a little bit more like, oh, yeah, you know, just kind of drop in and drop out. Whereas, you know, I think in general, winds and brass are a little bit more consistent. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I, I speak my, got, as, as a string player myself. <laughs> I was going to say you sound like a string player. I was going to say if you've got the one piccolo player and you need them and they drop out, then you're in trouble. It's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Whereas you know, violins yeah. is like oh, like three are out. Oh. Okay, just like boop, pop Come in on, the next. Bring thing. them in. Yeah, bring them in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's next for the bars then? Where, where, what's coming up in the next uh, six months or so, and where are you going in the future? Do you think? Yeah. Uh, Great question. So we have our Pride concert, uh, which is coming up on June 11th, um, and we're, we'll be performing in, in San Francisco. Uh, we're just now navigating some of, you know, COVID things again coming up. So we're, it's sort of at this point kind of a concert by concert basis, but we're very excited um, for our June 11th concert. So we're going to be playing um, uh, the Adolphus Hailstork uh, Fanfare uh, on Amazing Grace. Um, oh. And then we also have a uh, violinist and composer uh, named uh, Alyssa or Alisa. So apologies, <laughs> Alisa Rose. Uh, and she has sort of a bluegrass violin concerto called Embracing Ruth. So she's local oh, to the Bay wow. Area. Uh, she's also queer. Uh, and she also is, uh, I, I believe, a faculty member at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Um, yeah. And then... Uh, Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. Two. So you know, yeah. got a mix of you know contemporary <laughs> and queer, and you know Tchaikovsky. So um, that's that's the the next big uh, concert that we have coming up. Um, and then uh, for the next year, we're we're doing the planning for the next season. So um, we're trying to line up dates. I think that's one of you know jumping back to a COVID question of uh, you know how has that been to navigate is. It's, it's quite tricky um, trying to nail mm. down and figure out exactly, you know, what venues will be available, yes. how do we get these dates, um, and then layer on top of that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just logistically quite challenging, you know, pros and cons. We don't have to, 
we don't have an, an orchestra space or you know a, a venue or auditorium mm. or anything mm. like that that we own uh that'd be very expensive but at the same time we're sort of at the at the mercy and the whims of the venues that might be available so but that that's that's how that's how we're doing <laughs> I'm sure it'll go well. Well, thank you very much for your time, Andy. And uh, we look forward to uh, to hearing some concerts in the future. Thank you so much, Sammy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Today, we have the opportunity to listen to a couple pieces by cellist India Yesha Gailey. I happen to know India quite well. We we get to play together in a chamber ensemble called Alkali Collective here on the East Coast of Canada. Um, and every time I get the opportunity to work with, with India, it, uh, it surprises me, although it probably shouldn't, but it surprises me how incredibly sensitive and complex a player uh, India is. And so we're going to listen to two pieces uh, this morning. One is by uh, India and one is by a composer... Uh, a wonderful queer composer named Yaz Lancaster. We're going to listen to the first piece by India. Uh, and this piece is actually by India, India Yashagali. This is called Ghost. And one of the things about India's practice, uh, because I happen to, to know India, is that they play a lot of solo works for cello, which, I mean, there are, of course, uh, many solo works for cello around. There's like a long history of, of playing solo cello works, but I think what, what always fascinates me about the pieces that India chooses to play, um, are they not the typical pieces for solo cello, as in they don't access the normal uh, soundscape of, of cello writing, or if they do, they do it in a really interesting new way. Um, and often the, the solo pieces that India plays are uh, just a little uh, step off the, the beaten path and uh, require more... Uh, complex and deeper understanding of, of what the piece is asking to play. And that requires both uh, India as a player to have a deeper understanding, but also the piece itself is is written from likely a very different uh, viewpoint and, and, and then therefore asking the musician to uh, perform differently and, and perform in a, a more careful and complex way. And so this piece, which is actually written by India, uh, is is both. It's, it's layered in the way that uh, India is both playing it and uh, has written it. And so here is Ghost.
We're going to listen now to a piece called Deep in Vain, uh, a la the Netherlands, uh, by composer Yaz Lancaster. Uh, and Yaz is a uh, black and trans composer living in Harlem uh, in New York. And so there's a wonderful connection, I'm sure, which is not lost on them uh, between the Netherlands and uh, the United States. And I've had the pleasure of playing Yaz's work before, um, also in the same collective with uh, India in, in Alkali Collective. And I really, I really deeply love playing Yaz's works. They really, um, again, maybe similar to uh, the solo cello piece by India that we just listened to, they write from a uh, a different space, and you can tell they're writing from a different space. And so the music is um, more complicated in a good way. It's It's more... Uh, deeply connected to the person and I think therefore it matters deeply who is playing it and so uh, not that I, I think Yaz's music can't be played by just anybody I'm sure there's there's an accessibility that, that works for everyone but I think having somebody uh, who deeply understands Yaz as maybe a person or their uh, life or has a, a friendship or a connection with them matters very much to how they they get performed and so this is india uh, and her interpretation of yaz's piece i hope you enjoy
would do that's all for this episode you've been listening to the classical queer podcast and jacob and i look forward to being with you next month the incidental music is courtesy of jared miller and the show was produced by samantha jane